Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. With your Bible open to Luke chapter number 18. Notice if you would, beginning in verse number 18. The Word of God says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now let's stop there just for a moment because this is a question that many people are actually asking. What can I do to inherit eternal life? There is a Silicon Valley multimillionaire who has spent millions of dollars to uh, de-age, as it were. And they said he has turned back the clock, his biological clock, by two years with all of his uh, modern diet and everything that he's going through. And we're all looking to prolong or extend our life. But the reality is we're actually wondering, how can we get eternal life? And it's amazing because this is a bad question, isn't it? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you and I know the answer, that no one is good enough to inherit eternal life. You can't do it. He's saying, what can I do to inherit? Well, an inheritance of its own is something that you can't do. An inheritance is maybe a parent or a grandparent or a relative has to die and leave you in the will. That's how an inheritance works. So it's interesting that he would use the word inheritance. How can I earn an inheritance? Well, you don't earn an inheritance. It's there or it's not there. Your parents like you or they dislike you. Simple as that, okay? But here, Jesus, I love his response. Verse number 19, why do you call me good? Statements accuse, but questions convict. Jesus doesn't look at this person and say, you idiot, why are you asking such a bad question? You know, my mom was not always the most tactful person. And she would say that there is no such thing as a stupid question. Just stupid people. And I said, are you talking to me, mom? And she said, if the shoe fits. And I'm like, I'm just going to stop now, right? Stop while I'm ahead. But Jesus, he's so gracious. He's so merciful. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad. Because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I just pray right now in this moment that your word would do a great work in our life. 
there's nothing that I'm about to say that has any lasting eternal impact except for what you bless. But you guarantee to bless your word. So, Father, right now we ask that your word would stay with us, that it would hang heavy in our hearts. I pray that you would do a great work. Thank you for bringing myself and my family back safely to be back with our family. I pray that you bless our church and use it in a mighty way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage of Scripture illustrates three reactions that people have to Jesus. The rich man has three reactions to Jesus. They're all listed in the few verses that we read. And they're reactions that you and I can relate with using some modern technology. Many of you have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, LinkedIn, You may use all of those or very few of those social media platforms. But you'd be familiar with the terms that I'm about to discuss with you because I think it puts it into mind exactly how this rich man responds to Jesus. You see, the rich man's response is not unlike you and I, how we would respond to Jesus. It's very similar. You see, in verse number 18, the rich man says, good teacher. You know, that was not a common phrase that you would use. You wouldn't go around that day and age and go up to some Pharisee and say, good teacher. It was not common because the word good is to, in fact, denote that this person is holy. This person is perfect. So it wasn't a term you would use, but yet this rich ruler liked Jesus. And that leads us to our first point. I'm going to lay it out quickly and then we're going to dive into it. You see, there are people that you have in your social media feed that you like them, but you do not follow them. You say, what do you mean? There are people that will post something, they'll put up a picture, they will show you something, and you like it. You give them their thumbs up, or you'll heart it, or you'll give them some emoji. You like it. You're just not going to follow them. You know, it's every once in a while you want to glance at it, but... You're not really committed. You see, the rich ruler, he likes Jesus, but he's not sure if he wants to follow Jesus. There's a lot of Christians who like Jesus, and they're just not so sure they want to follow him. As a matter of fact, I think that's where the problem lies. A lot of us like Jesus, but I go a lot of places in the world And they like Jesus. As a matter of fact, coming in from the airport in San Francisco, coming through customs, I was there at the um, global entry. You got to go and you got to declare whatever you're going to declare. If you're bringing back pesos, if you're bringing back fruit, if you're bringing back any carved items, if you're going to bring back some fake Jordans, you have to declare that. And no, I saw the fake Jordans and I wanted to buy a bunch, but I just didn't have room in my suitcase. I was bringing back too much lumpia, okay guys? So there are priorities, all right? It was food or fake shoes and I chose food. And so it was coming back through customs and, you know, the guy at the counter, he, he, he asked what I did for a living. And I wanted to be snarky with them. The only problem was there was a guy in front of me that he got snarky. And there was three guards that walked him into a back room because he was so snarky. And then they came back out, but they didn't bring him back. So I was like, hmm, I think I'll just be on my best behavior, you know. So I told myself, hey, self, it's not the time to be snarky, even though I know he can see on the computer every job I've ever had, every sin I've ever committed. It's all there. The government, Uncle Sam knows, right? Big Brother's watching. 
So I knew that he knew that I was a pastor. So I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, Jesus is cool. And I was like, yeah, he's pretty cool. It's cool. You go to church? Nope. No, okay. Apparently he's not that cool. And there's a lot of people that today would say they like him. They just don't want to follow him. There could be some people in this room. You like him. You're just not sure if you want to follow him. So that's the first reaction. The second reaction is there are some people you and I have met that they don't like him. They block him. They want to cut God out completely. Maybe because there's been some hurtful or painful event in their life and they blame God for it. Or they blame the fact that God didn't save them from it. Or they look at the injustice and the pain and the suffering of this world and they say there can't be a God and they just block God out completely. They don't like him, they block him. And you and I, we've met those people on social media. We're like, I don't want to see their stuff in my feed, I just block them. You know, I like Facebook because I don't have to block you. I just have to hide you, and you don't know that I've hid you. I don't see your stuff anymore. Oops, a secret's out. <laughs> but that's how we treat some things. That's how we treat some relatives. We're like, I don't want to see your cat pictures, Aunt May. I'm just done. Or you have these people that you're, you're saying, I don't want to see it, and you could just block it. And some people... There'll be times when you're excited and you're, you're saying, oh, yeah, I, I like God. I'll follow God. And there are other times you're mad at God and you're like, I'm blocking. I'm, I'm not going to church for a while. I'm not reading my word for a while. I'm not praying for a while. I'm not doing none of that because God and I are not on speaking terms. Isn't that kind of amazing how we get? We got all moody at the creator of the universe. Like we are something. God could go and we would just fly off the planet. God doesn't even have to do that. God can just have the driver behind you distracted on his phone playing Candy Crush and your life can be snuffed out in a moment. We're very fragile human beings. I'm not a big fan of flying over water. I just get this anxiety. And there was a lot of turbulence. And I was like, oh my goodness. And don't look out at the window because when you hit turbulence, do you realize how much that wing goes up and down? Oh my goodness, don't look at that. That just gave me anxiety. I was like, oh my goodness. My prayer life got a whole lot better. I'll tell you that. I got real spiritual. Started confessing sins. Man, taking back every bad thing I ever said about angel. I was like, oh my goodness, I need to be right with God. If I'm going, I don't want to have that on my case. And all of a sudden, you, you and I, we, we look at God and we say, I don't like him. I'm going to block him because the rich young ruler, what does he do? Jesus tells him something he doesn't like. So what does he do? He goes away. Because Jesus told him to do what? Sell all you have and give to the poor. And the Bible says that he was very sad. Very sad. And he blocks him. And then there's this third and final reaction that you can have. And this is the best reaction. You like him, so you follow him. And that's Peter's reaction. Because Peter comes in and Peter says, Lord, we've left all to follow you, which is Luke chapter number five, where Jesus comes to Peter, James, and John and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible says that they forsook their nets and they followed him. They forsook everything. That was their livelihood. It wasn't just fish that they were after. Their fish represented their financial livelihood. So when they said no to that, they were saying, Lord, we're going with you. And even God even agrees with Peter and says, yes, he, he didn't say that Peter didn't forsake those things. He says, you did. So those are the three reactions. However, I want to talk about how we live in limbo. 
you know, you and I, we try to kind of live in between it all. We're called to be followers of Christ. We're called to follow him. But yet we live in this limbo. This, this life where we're not sure if we're really going to follow him, even though the mission of Southridge Church is leading people to find and follow Jesus. But my problem is this, my friend. If you and I aren't following Jesus, but yet you and I want people to follow us, then where are we taking people? You're either serving the God of the universe or you're serving the small G-O-D God. You love the one or you hate the other or you love the other and you hate the one. Because no man can serve two masters. But yet you and I, sometimes we feel like we can live in limbo. One foot serving God and one foot serving ourselves, serving idols, serving a false God. And yet on Sunday morning, we say, I'm a follower of Jesus reporting for duty. And God says, liar. Because there's no such thing as a part-time Christian. But yet we kind of carve out this little category where we say, Sunday, what do we say? The Lord's day. See that, God? You get one day. God's like, but I thought I made all seven. Oh, I know you made it. Just because you're the maker doesn't mean that you should be also the owner of it. How would you like that? You make something, but you're not the owner of it. How sad is that? That might upset you. How does God feel? That we're like, God, you get one day, and yet, it's going to hurt a little bit. The average Christian attends church 1.3 times a month. I don't know how they average it out to three, but that's where we're at now. We don't even give God two days out of the month. And you say, well, I can worship over here. Yes, you can. But what I find distracting is that oftentimes when we're not in the house of God, I know you can worship God on your boat, but are you? I don't know, and I'm not here to judge, but I just want to ask you the question, are you? I know you can worship God on the golf course, but are you? You got a little communion set? Pour a little communion? Sing a hymn? Read a verse? Maybe you are. I don't know, and I'm not here to judge. My point is this. There are many Christians that say they like Jesus, but they're not like Jesus. And that's the problem. Because we claim to say we want to reach the world, but yet the world knows who we really are. They know that you say you like him, but they also realize that you're nothing like him. Because isn't it funny that the world actually does realize how Jesus lives? They, they, they got a real sense of it. They know that Jesus loves, that Jesus serves, that Jesus is kind, that Jesus is forgiving, that Jesus is there for others, that Jesus has empathy, that Jesus is supportive. But yet you look in the average church, and what are we doing? Just among ourselves. It's amazing how many times I have been hurt, wounded, betrayed, ripped off by Christians. I've told people this. I've said, sometimes I, I don't want to do business with Christians. Not because I want to hold them accountable and I want to be able to yell and maybe swear at them. That's not why. It's because oftentimes Christians know they can get away with stuff and they know how to twist scripture to say, well, you're supposed to forgive me. You're supposed to forgive a brother. You're supposed to forgive a sister. Well, you did it intentionally. 
The gossip was intentional. Nobody made you slander. Nobody made you be divisive. Nobody made you say those nasty things. Nobody made you do those nasty things. You did. And yet you say you like Jesus, but you're nothing like Jesus. And therein lies the problem. You and I claim to want to reach San Jose for Christ. And San Jose residents look at you as you're trying to give them an invite saying, hey, the best is yet to come. Come to my church. And they're like, but last Tuesday, I put my extra garbage in your trash can and you cussed me out. No, thank you. Because they get it that we say we like Jesus, but we're not really ready to follow Jesus. Because we are so much unlike the person we say we like. And if we have any hope of changing San Jose, we have to say we don't just like him. We want to be like him. We want to be like him in mannerisms and attitudes and thoughts and intents of our heart and motives. I traveled to the Philippines. And in the Philippines, you know, you ask people, hey, what do you guys like about the States? And it's amazing because before I asked the question, I already had the answers. Because they will talk like, they will dress like, they will act like the things they like. But yet, when you talk to a Christian, can you tell by the way they talk, the way they act, the way they present themselves that they like Jesus? Because sometimes when people tell me they're a Christian, you have to kind of wonder. This morning, I want to talk to Christians. If you're not a Christian in this place, relax, kick back. I just want to talk to the Christians. The people that say, we like Jesus. Excellent. Let me talk to you for a second. Because getting to travel to Asia, Korea, Philippines, Japan, back to the U.S., you get to see a couple things. You get to experience some things. You get to see how people, when they say they like Jesus, that they back it up with actions. You see, they have some fruit that backs up that their root is a root of Christianity. They're not fake plastic fruit that looks real but offers no nutritional value. And that's how sometimes Christians can be. You can walk into a church and it's like looking at a fruit bowl on a countertop or on your table. It looks real, it looks beautiful, but you pick it up and you're like, there's nothing here. It's hollow, it's empty. Here's how you know that you're real fruit. Fruit has the ability within itself to produce more fruit. Because every fruit has a seed. And you and I have the ability to produce more fruit. That's what we're supposed to produce. But yet when you see a Christian, and we're not here to just judge everybody, but we are fruit inspectors. And we look at people and say, hey, where's the fruit? Because you claim to like Jesus, but you're not like Jesus. And we need to get back to, if we're going to see the world transform, we've got to get back to being like Jesus. But for too long, we've got Christians that... Your form of Christianity makes me want to itch. I don't like it. Because it doesn't convert anybody. It doesn't convert your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, co-workers. They look at you and they don't see you overcoming besetting sins. They don't see you overcoming bad habits. And we've got to come back to this thing where we say, no, I am following Jesus. And as I follow Jesus, you can follow me. You see, can you really say you like him if you aren't like him? The second part is Jesus told this rich young ruler, sell all you have. The second part is, if you like Jesus, you listen to Jesus. And therein lies another problem. 
we don't often listen to Jesus. You say, well, I come on church on Sundays. That's good. That's a start. But Jesus wants to speak to you all the time. He wants to speak to you about your parenting. He wants to speak to you about your marriage. He wants to speak, speak to you about your business deals. He wants to speak to you about how you live, how you behave, how you think, how you act. Jesus wants to speak into all of it. And sometimes some of us will put a roadblock into how God can speak to us. Because sometimes God's voice is locked up in your spouse. Sometimes God's voice is locked up in your authority. Sometimes God's voice is locked up in another speaker. And sometimes we just neglect it because we want God's voice packaged in the very perfect package. And we want God to say what we want to hear. And if God isn't going to say what we want to hear, then we're not interested in listening. Because God will challenge you, especially if you claim to say, I want to follow Jesus. And then God is going to call you to a different life. But yet you and I get tied up in the thinking that this guy got tied up in. You see, he got caught up in one thing, how much it was going to cost. And that's what the scripture tells us. He says he was very rich. You see, he couldn't get over that to follow Jesus was going to cost him something. And sometimes the same is true for us. Oh, I don't know if I can go to church. I don't know if I can read my Bible. That's going to cost me something. Oh, I don't know if I can go on a mission trip. That's going to cost me something. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. That's going to cost me something. I was over in the Philippines last week, and I sat down with the pastor. And he looked at me and he said, we have a lot of pastors from America come here. And he said, I want to ask you a question that they've told me. You see, this pastor from the Philippines who started in a dirt lot, built up a church over 32 years with a Christian school and a little bit of property and not something real nice. When I say they built it up, it wasn't that they hired general contractors. They just built this thing out of cinder block. Just built it up. Little piece of land, not on a main street, just kind of back in the... Street, I don't even know how to get to it. It's a dirt road. It's not even a street. I don't know how my father-in-law found things. There's no Google Maps that'll get you. There's no street signs. It's just he knew that there's a dirt road here, and I'm going to keep going until I find this church. And so we get there, and this pastor asked me, he says, is it hard to share the gospel in these states? And I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, what a strange question for this pastor to ask me. Because this pastor got a dirt lot 30 years ago with no money, quit his job, and he's built up this work with the Christian school, took a lot of money, and the average Filipino is making at this time between $7 to $12 a week. A week. We stopped at a church, and one of the churches we visited out of the seven was in a building project. And Austin, my son... If you ever meet Austin, he's a 50-year-old trapped in a 10-year-old's body. You don't know what he's going to say. He's always thinking. He's got a lot of energy, but if he's quiet for a while, he's thinking. And he was looking at this banner that they had for their building project. And they had a bunch of little churches on the building project, and people would put their name on a little church. And that was for everybody who made a pledge for the building project. And so then Austin looks at Jane and says, how much money are they trying to raise? And Jane looks at Austin and says, they're trying to raise for their building project to do this addition, $40. And then Austin gets quiet for a second. And he says, I have $40. Can I fund their building project? Can I be a part of this? 
And then I go back to the question the pastor asked me. I've heard it's hard over there. Hard over here. I have air conditioning. I have indoor plumbing where I don't need to use a tabo to flush my waist. I have no mosquito issues. I have plenty of food. I've got plenty of resources. I can get, if I need a phone, I can get a free phone. If I need groceries, I can get EBT card. If I need a free bus pass, I can get a free bus pass. If I need medical attention, I get free Medicare. I can get all of that for free. Try that over there. Good luck. You're not getting it. And he was asking me if it's hard. I said, Pastor, oh, no, 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 no. We only think it's hard. We need to see what you are doing with nothing. Because you're the followers. We're the ones saying we like Jesus, but we're not doing anything like Jesus, are we? I talked to one of his pastors because we visited seven churches. And all those seven churches all had mission work going out of their churches. And one of the pastors, he began to tell us the fact that he was going to go plant a church in San Juan in this province. And in this province, he said, I'm going to buy a haunted house. I said, a haunted house? He said, yeah, I'm going to buy a haunted house because it's cheaper. And then he's like, that's where my family will move into and we'll start our mission out of that. And then we'll have the church there in that haunted house. And I said, I hope you're getting John Constantine or somebody to exercise some demons out of there, throw some holy water or something. And he just looked at me and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll pray over it. But that's the only thing we can afford. My friend, none of us have struggled for $40 this week. And if we had, we have a credit card. We got access to go collect cans and turn it in. We can get $40. None of us have struggled with having to buy a haunted house to start our church. And yet, here we are, and we are struggling to listen to the voice of God. We are struggling to hear him. We are struggling to see him. And God is saying, I want to move in power. I want to move in a mighty way. And yet, the church, we're here squabbling about, my Starbucks was out of oat milk. My boss was upset with me today. I'm having a bad day. They ate the last donut before I got there. I got cut off in traffic. Oh my goodness. My friend, you and I are worried about the cost. If you and I are worried about the cost of following Jesus, you don't understand what true love is. Because we say that we love Jesus, do we not? We more than like him, we love him. We even sing this song, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus. Remember that old hymn? No, you don't. Uh, anyway, I, Old Baptist, so we, we used to sing that hymn, oh, how I love Jesus. And we would sing it, and we'd sing all these songs about uh, I love Jesus and all these things we would sing. But yet, what if I did this? What if every time I took my wife Jane out on a date, and I look at her and said, I don't know if we can go eat there. That's going to cost $54. It's too expensive. You need to pay me back after this date. What if I took her to the mall for her birthday? Bought her a dress and be like, that was an expensive dress. I hope you appreciate it. Can I tell you, if you are counting the cost with the person you love, it's an insult to the one you love. Because when you love someone, you're willing to sacrifice for someone. Let this sink heavy for a second. Let it sit with you because we claim to love Jesus, 
And yet we sometimes look at coming to church as a sacrifice. We sometimes look at giving to missions as a sacrifice. We get caught up in our stupid gossip. We get caught up in our backbiting. We get caught up in, oh, I need a worship team to sound like this. I need a kids ministry like this. I need a pastor who's more calm and mellow and sits on a chair and pontificates and doesn't get rowdy. Oh, I need a church who's more doctrinal. I need a church that's more charismatic. I need one that speaks in tongues. I need one that does healing. I need one that goes crazy. I need this. And oh, I don't like the pastor doing that. And I don't like this. We get caught up in all this stuff. What are we actually doing? We're saying this. I like Jesus. But I'm not going to follow him if it's going to cost me anything that's going to inconvenience my comfort. My friend, I'm thankful for the churches in the Philippines. And may I say, I was greatly encouraged by the faith, obedience, and followers that I saw in the Philippines. It gave me hope for us. I don't see that here, but I saw it there. Agnes, you know, don't you? The church is over there. They know what it means to pay a price. They know what it means to, to work hard. They don't know what it costs. Do you understand to become a Christian in parts of the Philippines, you're going to be excommunicated? Heavily Catholic country. And yet you and I, we sit back and we say, oh, oh, they closed down the coffee early at Southridge. I'm going I'm to file a formal complaint. Who's in charge here? <laughs> Music's too loud. It's too quiet. The pastor, he's so, uh, why does he just do things? Why does he just stay on script and get done on time? And why does he say random things? I'm jet lagged this week, so I have an excuse this week. Every other week, you're right. But yet we've gotten to a point in our life that we kind of think that this is how church is supposed to be. And I'm telling you, the Christians used to meet in a cave and they sang joyfully. The Christians used to go to the slaughter and they were fine, sacrificed. They were fine with the cost because they understood it really wasn't a cost. You see, we have our paradigm all backwards. We don't understand what God wants us to see because God doesn't want you to just like him. He wants you to actually be like him and follow him. And where he leads, you say, I will go. And if you're taking me to Africa, I'm going to Africa. If you're taking me to that church, I'm going to that church. If you're telling me to sell this, I'm selling that. If you're telling me to give that, I'm giving that. If you're telling me to serve there, I'm serving there. But I'm going to follow Jesus. And it doesn't matter because I just want his presence. Do you remember that message a couple weeks ago that Moses said, no to the promised land. He only wanted God's presence. This is what it takes, my friend. When you and I say, I will follow Jesus because I want to be in his presence. Because after all, you understand, it's actually not a cost to be with God. It actually is no cost. A great missionary said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain but he cannot lose. That missionary gave his life on the mission field, witnessing to a tribe in South America. And he counted it a gain to die in the mission field. My friend, God is about to usher us into a new season as a church. And we can't have people saying, I just like Jesus. And then as we're advancing, are stabbing us in the back as we're advancing. 
I've had too many people gossip and slander to deal with that foolishness. I sat down and had breakfast with somebody who had been gossiping and slandering in our church, and I called them out. And I said, we're moving forward to reach San Jose, and yet you're taking pot shots. How can you say that you like Jesus and you're nothing like him? How can we tolerate that? And it's not just the fact that it was gossip. It was the fact that how dare anybody try and make this about them when we're here to save souls from hell. When we're trying to do everything to reach this area for Christ. Where we want to see missions work going on. We're building a building. We're trying to do things that haven't been done in this area. And I went over to the Philippines and I got excited because I see them doing it. I see them buying a haunted house to build up a church. I go to rural parts where they say $40 we could build something. I met with one missionary and he said $35 a month is what I received from the U.S. $35 a month? What do we expect you to do for $35 a month? And he says, I'm doing all I can. $35 a month. I said, oh me. Oh God, break my heart. We brought 500 pounds to the Philippines. 500 pounds. When we got to the airport, people were looking at us saying, are you guys moving here? And I said, oh no, no, no. We only brought carry-ons and backpacks because we wanted to bring things to the Philippines. And many of you were so helpful in that. And the churches see the look on their face and see the tears in their eyes as kids got new toys. Do you understand what a big deal that was? You and I take this for granted. Our worst day here is still better than their best day. And yet the thing that broke me was the joy in their face when they had nothing. I just looked in awe. I told somebody earlier, I said, every person that's rioting the streets right now, breaking down a coach establishment to steal some purses, walking through some store stealing stuff, I just want to buy them a ticket, round trip, and send them to some third world country for a week and say, I'll pay for everything. But you have no idea how good you have it. You have no idea how many opportunities we have. And then I just thought, I can't do that, but I can, I can speak to our church. We don't know how good we have it. We don't know how good our God's been. It's mind-blowing what God has done. But we've got to get back to this thing where we're not just standing around saying, I like God. We're saying, I want to be like him more. My attitude, my mind. It's easy to judge. It's easy to cast stones. Or we step back and we say, God, there's a bigger world out there. And God, help me to see it. Because when you understand that to follow Jesus means to be with Jesus. I don't know what God has in store for me. But I know as long as I'm following him, he will be there. And that's enough for me. And you and I have to fall in love with the presence of God again. You know, in 2019, Justin's son paid three and a half million dollars to have lunch with Warren Buffett. One meal, three and a half million dollars to have one meal with Warren Buffett. That's how much he valued the time with Warren Buffett. 
I'll share one better. June 20th, 2022, an unnamed person spent $19 million for a meal with Warren Buffett. Seems to me like they value time with that man. And yet every day, there's an open invitation to bask in the glory of God, to come into his presence, to allow God to speak and minister to our hearts, to speak to the wounds, to heal the brokenness, to give strength and courage to keep going, and yet we turn away from it. And God is saying, I didn't even charge you. Better than Warren Buffett. I'm the God who made Warren Buffett. I don't ask for 50 cents. I don't ask for five pesos. But God is not out there to beg. God is simply saying, whosoever will may come. God right now is drawing you in. He's saying, come. Come find rest. Come find peace. Come find hope. Come find power. Come find wisdom. Come find strength. Come find the lonely parts of your heart renewed. And yet we block him. friend, God is not a grandparent wringing his hands that the kids never visit. God's not doing that. If you don't value his presence, he's not wringing his hands saying, oh, I wish Micaiah would visit me. He's not doing that. God's saying, the ones that come are receiving the blessing. And yet we want to reach San Jose my friend, when is the last time you have done something that has inspired others around you to follow Jesus? Because when I met with those seven pastors, I was inspired to follow Jesus. When your neighbor sees you, are they inspired to follow Jesus? When your coworkers see you, are they inspired to follow Jesus? When your spouse is with you, are they inspired to follow Jesus? When your children see you, are they inspired to follow Jesus more? Because until we become the church who inspires people, not just with our thoughts and ideas, but with our deeds and our actions, will we see San Jose transformed. It is enough talking. It's time for action. San Jose does not need another declaration declaration of love, it needs a new demonstration of love. And that must come through the church of the living God, where we are arms open to the hurting and the broken, where we say we are here and we will do whatever he leads us. We will be like him and we will listen to him and we will go and reach. God is moving us from this neighborhood and he's moving us to a new neighborhood. And new opportunities mean new obstacles. And we have to rise to the occasion. And maybe you are saying, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm one. And I'm just saying, listen to God. Block out every other voice. And you say, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. doesn't matter anybody else. I must follow you wherever you lead. And that's got to be where we're at. It's got to be where I'm at. My heart is burdened. 
We brought those Bullock buying boxes, filled it to 50 pounds, measured it to the ounce, 10 boxes. We put our luggage in carry-ons and we washed it in the sink. Kid you not, we washed our laundry in the sink so we could bring more. And when I saw the people crying, I thought, I wish I would have brought more. I filled up a truck full of stuff and I wanted to bring more. So I came back and I told Jane, we're coming back. But we're not coming, just our family. We're bringing more. Because I saw what an impact. I saw that my son could give $40 and it could build an addition on a church. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. You know how long it's going to take us to build our building? And yet in a moment, 40 bucks and they're building something? Come on, that's exciting. That's what I want to see. I don't want to be the only person that gets in on that blessing. I want my faith encouraged. I want to go to that haunted house and I want to preach in it. I don't want no clowns jumping out with a broken chainsaw. I want to go there and I want to see God saving souls. I want to see God doing work. I want to see our children who are getting indoctrinated with some of the things that are happening here in the States to have their eyes open to what the world is really like. That's what I want to see. It was so good for me and my three kids to see it. I'm going over time. I apologize. Many times we don't understand this. If you know my wife, Jane, you don't realize that she grew up in the Philippines. My wife doesn't have an accent, so you would assume she grew up here. But she grew up in the Philippines until she was 15. So the way she thinks and understands is in that cultural mindset. Todd, I'll tell you this. I did not understand Jane like I did. We've been married 14 years until I saw her country, until I stepped into her house, until I saw what she grew up in. I don't know what it's like to not have a flush on the toilet. I didn't realize that that's a big deal. I didn't know that little things like a toilet, indoor plumbing, where you don't have cockroaches coming back up was such a big deal. I I didn't realize what it's like to not have a house made out of cardboard. I didn't realize. I didn't realize I would go to a restaurant. I would ask my wife. I'd say, where's the breakfast food? You know, Americans, we like breakfast food. Pancakes, sausage, and bacon, and waffles, and bagels, and fruit, and orange juice, and coffee. And then get some syrup and put it all over it and get diabetes. You know, that's the way we like to do it. And she said, you're in the Philippines. Whatever we serve you is the meal. We went to a restaurant. Everything was soup. Because you get a little bit of rice and a little bit of oolong. Oolong is just whatever you have. It could be vegetables. It could be meat. It wouldn't be a lot. I watched as pastors who fill up their plate with rice because they don't have enough money to buy the meat to put on. All of a sudden, I begin to understand why my wife does the things she does. You come from nothing. You have no excuses for people that have more opportunities. You have no excuses because you came from nothing. And when I say nothing, our Western mindset is like opening the fridge. There's only bologna. There's nothing to eat. No, 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 no. 
This is not hyperbole, church. But yet I have had some people come to me and say, oh, she's a little bit rude. This is not me defending. This is just me just saying, when you don't have context, you lack compassion. And when you don't have context, you lack compassion, and then you jump to a conclusion. When I see the division in our country, it's because we're doing the exact same thing. We're looking at the person who's caught up in a lifestyle of sin and we're not having the ability to have compassion because we are caught up in a wrong context. We don't understand the years of abuse. We don't understand the brokenness. And we as a church have to stop this. We have to have the empathy for those people that are suffering in a way that we'll never know. And we don't always have time to say, tell me your whole story. We have to say, I am like Christ and I like Christ and Christ is compassionate. And so you can fill in the story later, but right now you need love and I love you. And we'll fill in the rest later as we go. But right now, that's all you need. I don't need a story. I don't need a description. I just know that you've been through some stuff. And as we walk together, instead of me just canceling you, cutting you off, gossiping about you, and stabbing you in the back, trying to limit your ministry, how about I just say, let me walk with you. Let me learn from you. We have the greatest blessing because we live in the Silicon Valley. There's 38 different nationalities represented in our church, 38 different countries. I got asked by a large denomination to write, how do you have a multicultural church? I said, I don't know. But God has brought together people with different backgrounds, different beliefs, different everything, and we all somehow get along. Not perfectly, but we're getting along because we have one common goal, leading people to find and follow Jesus. And we are doing our best to follow Jesus not always perfect. We stumble. But my friend, we need to stop and say, I wonder why they're like that. I wonder why. And then immediately you can bridge a gap. This is one of those messages I've gone too long. Let's stand. Let's close. We are building a great church And God gave me clarity that our church is not just going to stay here, but our church is going global. They may not have the name Southridge, but we're going to do more for missions. We're going to be a bigger part of it. Because we can. Because we should. And because there's so much we can learn. yet to come. The best is yet to come. And I know that there are dark days coming. I see it. I sat on the airplane flying Korea to Incheon from Incheon to the Philippines. I'm not a fear monger. I'm not, I don't believe that. I sat across the aisle from a guy in the CIA. He said, oh yeah, we're sending a lot of people back to the Philippines. stable. 
I walked into the airport, and you could tell who the military were, plain closed. Yeah, we've closed down some bases, but there's some stuff happening in the world. And my heart began to realize it. I don't got time for pettiness. I don't got time for nothing that isn't essential right now. I don't got time to fight with you about nothing. But how can we better reach people in San Jose? And how can we get more money to these pastors and churches? I don't got time for nothing else. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I love everybody. People that are for me, people that are against me. I know the time's short. And I believe that history is going to be happening through this church. And God's going to use you. It's going to start here. It's exciting. I'm excited for our kids, the next missionaries. I'm excited to take all of you to the Philippines. We're all going to go back. We're going to see revival. have said we like you, but we have not been like you. And we have not listened to you. You are speaking. Isaiah said, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Would we once again hear you speaking? God, there is a great work to be done. And we pray for your help. We pray for your strength. We pray for your presence. We pray for your anointing. We pray for your power. In Jesus' name, and I pray for our people. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.